0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Messages podcast of Northview Church. We are so glad you're joining us for today's message. At Northview, we're all about connecting people with God and connecting people with people. We would love for you to come and check us out in person. You can find campus locations and information at northviewchurch.us. We hope you enjoy the message. So it was in January, actually January 20th of 1981 in Washington, D.C., It was said to be a cold and gloomy day and it looked like it could snow at any moment. It was actually the day that Ronald Reagan was to be sworn in as president. He asked, what was unusual about this event is that he asked to be sworn in on the west side of the Capitol overlooking the Washington Monument. Now, no president had ever done that before. And Reagan noted that when he got up to take the oath of office, he noted the thick clouds that just seemed to dissipate, to disappear. He said, quote, I, I felt an explosion of warm light on my face, just as I was reciting the same oath of office that George Washington recited. Not only was my right hand on my mother's Bible, but it was also over the scripture passage, Second Chronicles 714. He said that verse was important in my life And my mother, it was her Bible, and she'd written out to the side, she'd written this note that said, a most wonderful verse for the healing of our nation. Well, guys, as you know, that's the same passage we've been looking at for the past three weeks. It's kind of been the theme to this particular series, 2 Chronicles 7.14. When people think about a scripture in the Word of God that deals with this topic of spiritual awakening, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is typically what comes to our mind. We broke it down uh, step by step last week, but I do want us to at least take a look at it again. It says if, now if you were here, you remember that I said that first word is really important because this indicates a prerequisite. In other words, it tells us there's something I have to do, if, and then he goes on to give us the steps of what it is he's wanting from us, what God is expecting us to do. He says if my people, that's believers, that's followers of Christ, who are called by my name, he's just clarifying, he's talking about Christians, will humble themselves, number one, and pray, number two, and seek my face, number three, and turn from their wicked ways, that's four, then, so there it is again, the prerequisite, then, if you do this, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Our series is called Spiritual Awakening, The Great Awakening, which is a series, as I said, on the topic of revival. I think that most Christians would agree that our nation desperately needs a spiritual revival. And though I would agree with that sentiment, I also have pointed out the last couple of weeks that most Americans don't actually need revival. Most Americans don't actually need revival. You see, it's not the atheist or the Buddhist or the abortionist or the Satanist or even the unchurched that need revival. What they need is regeneration. What they need is salvation. You cannot revive someone that's never had a spiritual life. So guys, when we pray for revival, what we're actually praying for is the spiritual awakening of believers, the spiritual awakening of Christians. Revival is the rekindling of our first love that we discovered when we first met Christ, when we first met Jesus. It's obedience to what God is asking of us. It's obedience to what God is asking us to do. There are basically three things. Whenever you talk about this subject, whenever you think about this topic of revival and you're saying, well, what really needs to happen in my life for there to be a spiritual awakening? There are three key elements. Obedience, we talked about that week one. That is primary. Obedience, worship, and prayer. Those three elements are necessary for a spiritual awakening for us to open up our spiritual eyes and to see Jesus once again. When these three things happen, the church will then fulfill its obligation to take the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and hurting world. And guys, another mark, let me just throw this in, another mark of revival is bold evangelism. Because I want you to hear me on this next statement. Every spiritual awakening that has taken place in history, bar none, every one of them, you want to go back, I don't care how many years you want to go back, every spiritual awakening that has taken place in history for Christianity, it has been marked by people coming to Christ. That's the evidence. When people say, well, how do you know that there's been a major revival in the land? How do you know there was a major revival in that particular country? The response is because people were being saved. People were stepping across the line of faith. People were bowing their knee to invite Jesus Christ in their life. In President Woodrow Wilson's last speech to America, he said this, our civilization will not survive materially unless it's redeemed spiritually. Christians listen to me, what good is it, please hear me on this, what good is it if our 401ks soar in value? What good is it if every home has two Mercedes sitting in the garage? What good is it if every wrist has a Rolex watch on it? What good is it if we have Gucci wallets tucked inside the pockets of our Calvin Klein jeans? What good is it if our homes have no favor with God or our lives have no forgiveness from Jesus or our daily walk has no fruitfulness in the Spirit? What good is that? William Bennett, who was once the Secretary of Education as well as an author, wrote in his best-selling book, America, The Last Best Hope, he wrote this. Material gains will never be enough for America if we achieve full employment, have great economic growth, have cities of gold, but our children have not learned how to walk in goodness, justice, and mercy. Then the, American spirit, then the American experiment has failed. Now, if you want to take, what does that mean spiritually? What does the scripture have to say about that? In Mark chapter eight, it says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Parents, Can I just say this? It all begins at home. It all starts in the home with us teaching our children about spiritual things, with us teaching our children about the things of God. We talk about, as parents today, in the culture that we live, in the society we live, we're all very concerned about our kids' academics. We don't want our kids to fall behind, we want our kids to be ahead in this society, and our culture, but I am telling you, my friend, and, and the same with sports. I mean, education is important, sports are important, there's so many things that develop in our life because of sports, and as parents, we oftentimes are concerned with that. We're concerned with uh, musical instruments and extracurricular activities. But the reality is none of those things will make an eternal difference. None of those things will make an eternal difference. And that's why as parents, our number one responsibility, our number one concern for our kids needs to be their spiritual life. Listen guys, one of my concerns today just keep going with this thinking, but one of my concerns today is that people have picked up a political worldview instead of a biblical worldview. I've talked a lot in the past about how important it is that as believers, as Christians, we have a Christian worldview, we have a, that we have a biblical worldview. What does that mean? That means Oh, your worldview is what shapes your values. Your worldview is what shapes your beliefs. It's what you build your foundation on. And so what's your worldview? If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, then your worldview should be biblical. Your foundation should be Christ. Your foundation should be the truth of God's word. And I said, I've said this over the years many, many times. If you've been around Northview, you've heard me talk about this a lot. What has concerned me in the last several decades is that because we're not reading the Word of God, because less and less Christians are getting into the Word of God, we have no idea what it even says, other than what we hear on the weekends or or, whether, or maybe what we hear every once in a while when we open it up. We don't know how to build a biblical foundation because we don't know what it says. And therefore, you're gonna build your foundation on something. And so oftentimes we have, for a lack of better words, this Neapolitan uh, worldview where, where we take a little bit of the Bible and say, oh, I, I believe that's true and I wanna stand on that and a little bit of this belief out in our culture because you think that's true and so you wanna stand on that. And by the time you're done, you've kind of fashioned or formed your own biblical worldview. And what's really happened uh, that concerns me in the last, I don't know, maybe... 10 years, maybe it's gone on longer than that, probably it's gone on longer than that and I just didn't even really notice it, is that how often Christians are picking up what's called a political worldview instead of a biblical worldview. We've come to believe that our hope is found in politics instead of in scripture. We've come to believe that if we get America right, then everything will be all right spiritually that our first priority has got to be getting America right. We've come to believe that if we just elect the right people to government, then everything is gonna be fine. Guys, that's just not the case. While those things might be important, I'm not trying to dismiss that. The key is that we have to follow the truth of God's word, which is why we desperately need to refocus our hope on him, which is why we desperately need a spiritual awakening in our life. And it's why we need a spiritual awakening among Christians today. So that our focus, what should our focus be as believers? Our focus is the great commission. Our focus is the last commandment that Jesus gave us before he went back to heaven. He didn't want us to be confused on what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. So he made it clear in Matthew 28 when he said, go into all the world and make disciples. That's, you know, people say oftentimes, well, well, Steve, how do I know what the will of God is? Well, I can tell you, overall, the will of God is that you go make disciples. Because that's true for all of us. That's true for every believer. Listen, instead of the church waiting for Americans to get it right, I think we need to realize that America is waiting for the church to get it right. So that they can see by the way that we live our life that we're following Jesus Christ and that there is life change that takes place. That when you make a determination to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, there is transformation, there is life change. And therefore, I think America says, I would follow that. I I want to experience that in my life. Unfortunately, today, it's often hard to tell the difference between those that are far from God and those that profess to be believers. Too often, Christians look so much like the world, you simply can't tell the difference. I mean, where is the love Jesus told us to display to one another? I mean, if you think that I'm exaggerating this, please just read your New Testament. Just read the Gospels. Because guys, a hundred times, a hundred times in the New Testament, we are told to love one another. So, So this isn't just something Jesus threw out in one of his sermons. All throughout the New Testament, we are instructed. In fact, really it's stronger than that. We are commanded to love one another. And then it gives us, we're to forgive one another. It tells us there's 95 different ways we're to express that love. We're to demonstrate that love towards one another. And Jesus said in John chapter 17 in his priestly prayer, he said, Jesus is praying to his father, and he says that all of them, talking about you and me, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That's the prayer Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father, that God, believers, followers would love each other, that believers and followers would be there for one another and find ways to demonstrate their love to one another, just as you and I love one another. That's a pretty strong love. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent them. So we move on and we say, so then where's the joy unspeakable that the Bible talks about? Where is the peace that passes all human understanding that the Bible talks about? Why are we not loving our neighbors the way Jesus instructed us to love our neighbors? Why are we not finding ways to serve our coworkers and our community the way Jesus instructed us to? Why are we not doing more for the poor and the marginalized? It's concerning that we no longer seem to be moved by the lost condition of our neighbors. We're no longer moved by the lost condition of our coworkers. We, we brush it off. You know, it's like, well, they're sinners. I mean, they're lost. What do you expect? You know, and it, we just don't seem to care as much. I mean, when was the last time, and I'm going to tell you guys, I'm pointing as much at me, maybe more at me than I'm pointing at you, because I've really been struggling with some of this, thinking, God, my heart has hardened towards some of these things, and it's dangerous for my own spiritual journey, and it's dangerous for your spiritual journey. When was the last time you felt moved for the lost condition of a coworker? When was the last time your heart was moved in fear or concern that they might not live and they don't know Jesus, they don't know Christ? Guys, that's why it's so imperative. Christians, listen to me. That's why it is so imperative that the unchurched should be able to see Jesus in us. That the unchurched should be able to see the characteristics of Jesus in our life. They should be able to see the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And yet in most cases, the world doesn't give us a second look. There's nothing about our behavior or our lifestyle that makes them wanna know more. We we talked about this I believe in week one where John says, you remember John is on the island of Patmos, he's been banned to the island of Patmos and uh, he has a revelation from Jesus and Jesus tells him just to write and so he, we, we see the revelation of John, that's what revelation is, the revelation of, of Jesus through John. And, in, and he's writing to the seven churches and in, in a, a Revelation chapter two, Revelation chapter two he's writing to the church at Ephesus and he says in verse four, yet I hold this against you, the words of God, I hold this against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You've forsaken that first love you had. When we first invite Christ into our life, there is an excitement. Typically, if you have a genuine uh, transformation in your life, there's excitement about the things of God. We feel an overwhelming love for Jesus. We wanna find a way to serve him. I just wanna use my gifts and talents to serve God. We wanna tell others about what happened to me. I wanna tell others about what Jesus can do for them. But today, a lack of spiritual disciplines has caused us to grow spiritually dull. We have gravitated back to the things of the world. And we again find ourselves more concerned with our own comfort, more concerned with our toys, more concerned with our homes, with our cars, and none of those things are wrong. It's just they've become a priority for us. We've become more concerned with our own me time. We're more concerned about those things than we are about the lost. We're more concerned about those things than we are about those that are hurting in our world. People that are literally going to hell without Jesus. We've lost that passion, and guys, we need to get back to it. So what are we supposed to do to get out of this apathy? What are we supposed to do to get out of this indifference we find ourselves in? Look at the rest of that verse. It says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. We said that repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry, God, I did that. Repentance means, I'm sorry, God, and now I turn the other direction and walk away from it. I no longer wanna be a liar, I wanna be a truth teller. And so we begin to walk away from these bad habits that we've created in our life as believers and we repent and turn around and start walking toward the spiritual discipline. He says, turn back to me and do the things you did when you were first saved. Do the things you did when you first fell in love with Jesus. You know, guys, a, a simple analogy, if my marriage is struggling or even if my marriage is just sleepy, if I want my marriage to be better, I have to be intentional about it. You know, I, I, can, I can sit and think about it all day long. I can think about it for months and think, you know, our marriage is just not what it used to be. Our, our marriage has grown tired. Our marriage has grown sleepy. It's gonna continue that way and get worse unless you draw a line in the sand and say, okay, I need to do something here. I need to take the necessary steps to make things better. I need to do some of the things I used to do when our marriage was healthy, when our marriage was strong. I need to give my wife more attention. I need to give her more time. I need to learn to listen again and to communicate better. I'm just saying, guys, the same thing is true when it comes to our relationship with God. You can be aware of a sleepy relationship with God, But nothing's going to change until you draw a line in the sand and say, okay, I've got to take some necessary steps to get back to my first love. i got to take the necessary steps to get back to where I was when I first invited him into my life. I have to decide I'm going back to some of the spiritual disciplines I had when I was first saved. I need to refocus my attention on him. I need to get back into the word of God. I need to spend more time with other believers. And more than anything else, I need More time communicating with God or prayer. Unfortunately, I think many Christians are spending more time on social media, more time on television than we are in prayer. Again, I'm not trying to condemn social media, I'm not trying to condemn television. I'm just saying we've got it flipped around. And that's why our relationship with Jesus becomes sleepy. We just need to make our time with God a little bit more of a priority so we're spending a little bit more time with him. I oftentimes will say that the three most important things, if you've been around North, you've heard me say this a lot, the three most important things to a successful marriage, communication, communication, communication. Well, the same thing is true in any relationship. The same thing is true in your relationship with Christ. If you wanna revive your relationship with Christ, then you need to communicate, to communicate, and to communicate. You need to discipline yourself to spend more time with him. again, Obedience, worship, and prayer are all the keys to revival. James chapter five, the prayer of a righteous person. We talked about this either last week or the week before. The prayer of a righteous person. You say, well, I'm not righteous. If you're a believer, you are. A righteous person is someone that's invited Jesus Christ to come into their life. You're righteous not because of anything you've done. You're righteous because of what he did on the cross. So if you're a believer, you're righteous. The prayer of a righteous person, that's you, is powerful and effective. It's powerful and effective. Because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your prayers are powerful and effective. You know, you've heard me say this over and over and over again. Where prayer focuses, power falls. Where prayer focuses, power falls. I'll continue to say that because it's true. You know, and if, if, if we need something as a church, then we should come together corporately and pray because where prayer focuses power falls. If you need something as a family, then you should come together in corporate prayer as a family and pray for that because where prayer focuses power falls. Paul also talks about this in Colossians where he says, devote yourself. That's a big deal. Devote yourselves to prayer how to answer everyone. Now guys, I want you to understand how important prayer really is. He starts out saying to devote yourself to it. Now, I I think most of us understand the word to devote, to devote, it means means this unrelenting persistence. I'm so devoted to it, it's unrelenting persistence when it comes to prayer, which is the very opposite of hit and miss, which I would say, and again, I can be guilty of too, it's like, I, you know, through this series as I've been praying, God's been convicting me that I really need to be devoted to prayer. Which means what? Which means creating the habit of prayer in my life. Because oftentimes, prayer can be hit and miss. The Jews, the Jews and there's other religions too, but the Jews would pray three times a day. And of course, we wanna point to them and say, well, yeah, but they would just repeat the same prayer, so they, it didn't really mean anything. I, I can't judge their heart. I can just say I'm impressed with their actions. That they would understand that that type of habit needs to be developed in their life. To where they say, you know what, we're gonna pray. Prayer is so important, we're committing, we're gonna pray three times a day. So what was said, that's between them and God. But the fact is, they understood how necessary prayer was. And that's the same thing we need to do. It's a spiritual discipline or habit that you establish in your life. Please hear me on this, prayer is a habit. I can't say that enough times, prayer is a habit. It's not an attitude, prayer is a habit. When you try to figure out what brought revival to the early church, well you see it. You see it in so many different places, but in Acts chapter two it says, there it is again. They devoted themselves, to what? To the apostles teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There it is again, they devoted themselves, they were committed to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Listen, it's like, I'm just trying to think of an analogy, it's like your favorite sports team. You're you're gonna cheer them on whether they're winning or losing, because it's your team, right? Paul's saying, just keep praying. He's saying the same type of thing, just keep praying, don't give up. Just be faithful. You say, yeah, but I've been praying, Steve, and nothing's happened. That's all right. Just keep on praying. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. I've told you this many times before, too. Those are continuous action verbs. What does it mean? It means just keep on asking. Just keep on seeking. Just keep on knocking. Don't stop. At times... At times I know that it's gonna be discouraging because you don't feel like you're seeing the answer to prayer. Other times it's gonna be discouraging because you feel like the ceiling is as brass and you can't even get the, the prayers through the ceiling. Just keep praying. S.D. Gordon, who's an incredible evangelistic author, one time wrote this. He said, the greatest thing anyone can do for God, this is power. I want you to get this, The greatest thing that anyone can do for God and man is pray. That's a strong statement. The greatest thing anyone can do for God and man is pray. It is not the only thing, but it is the chief thing. The great people of earth are the people who pray. The people that do the most spiritually, the most significant things accomplished are the people that pray. Why? Because prayer refocuses on God. And so the people that pray are constantly focused on him. I don't mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer. This, I'll have to admit, this, this kind of made me feel guilty. I struggled with the condemnation on this because I, 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 can, I can preach a long series on the power of prayer, but I'm not always as consistent as I need to be. So I don't mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, go back, nor those who say they can explain prayer, but I mean those people who actually take the time to pray. That's what needs to happen, that's what I'm talking about when this determination to draw a line in the sand and say, we're gonna stop just talking about this stuff. We know the spiritual jargon, we know all the right things to talk about, but are we doing it? Because there's not gonna be any change that's gonna take place until we do it. Then he says, being watchful. This is someone who is wide awake. Someone that's watch, watchful is someone that is uh, vigilant, someone that is alert. In other words, very much aware of how God is moving, very much aware of what God is doing. Who are the people that are able to do that? The people that are spending consistent amount of time in prayer. Because as they're focused on God and trying to listen to the Spirit of God, it makes them, it makes their spiritual antennas go up. It makes them very much aware of how God wants to move in their life and how God wants to move all around them. It makes them very much aware of how God is working in the upper story. So those that have devoted themselves to prayer must also be wide awake. They must also be spiritually alert. Listen, if you're asking God for something, then you need to be listening. If you're praying and asking God for something, are you listening for the answer? Because sometimes the answer is right in front of our face. Are you listening for his response? Because sometimes it's so obvious everybody else sees it, but you don't, because you're not listening. You also need to be on the alert for those spiritual intersections that are going to take place in your life. Those times where you cross paths with someone that maybe they have... uh, Maybe God brings them into your path and they have spiritual questions. Maybe God brings them into your path and they're going through a terrible uh, crisis in their life and they're reaching out, pleading for help, and you're able to share the gospel with them. Those are spiritual intersections, guys. Those times where you cross paths, and I believe that God often brings those opportunities for us to have a spiritual conversation with someone, and yet we often miss it because we're not spiritually alert, we're just not listening. And I think we also need to be praying for unchurched people in our life, the unchurched people that we rub shoulders with day in and day out. God, I I, want to pray for my neighbor. I want to pray for that person that waits on me in my favorite restaurant. I want to pray for that person at the retail store that always waits on me there. Somebody that you've laid on my heart, I would just want to pray, God, for their salvation. I want to pray that you'd give me an opportunity to speak into his life or into her life. Guys, I'm not just telling you that prayer is powerful, which is why being persistent is, or what, which is why being persistent is so important. So be devoted to it, be committed to it. I, I want to go back to Colossians again. We read it, but I want to look at it and break it down again. In verse 3, it said, and pray for us. This is Paul. Now you have to understand, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing from a prison cell. And he says, And pray for us too. That God may open a door for our message. So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now remember, Paul wrote these from a Roman prison cell. Paul found himself locked up. Um, and it's, it just This is what I mean by being spiritually alert and watching for spiritual intersections. They said Paul, what they would do is, uh, the prison cell at that time was a hole in the ground and they'd had a, a post and um, they would put a guard, a Roman guard, not every time. Sometimes Paul had free reign when he was in prison. But when he writes this in Colossians, he is in a hole in the ground where there is a guard that's chained to Paul day in and day out. <laughs> Paul loved it. They can't get away from him. He preached the gospel to every single person that was chained to him. He literally went through hundreds and hundreds of soldiers preaching to them about the love of Jesus Christ and they had nothing to do but sit and listen to the apostle Paul. So he wrote these things and so that's why he's praying here. He says, as he found himself locked up, he's saying pray for another opportunity to share his faith with these prison guards who were a captive audience. I think it's important to notice that you never hear, read through the Pauline epistles, through Paul's letters, you never hear Paul ask people to pray for his release. You never hear Paul pray for better food. Please pray that they would give me something decent to eat. You don't, you don't read that. He doesn't pray uh, that they would, for his own comfort. The, the beds are hard, please pray that I would have a softer bed. He never does. He simply asks them to pray for an open door. Please, pray for an open door. In other words, pray for me to have an opportunity to share the gospel. He asked them to pray that he'd have opportunities to talk to the guards about Jesus. He believed there was power in prayer, and their prayers would certainly lead to increased opportunities to preach Jesus. And yet, guys, we also know that Paul prayed for them And all this time he had, he spent time praying for these new believers. He started most of the New Testament churches. And so what he's telling them is, hey guys, let's just continue to pray for each other. I'll pray for you, but I need you to pray for me. This is what I need prayer for. God will give me opportunities to share the gospel. I thought about the power of prayer and I thought about the the young, the five-year-old girl that asked her, her father, who was a preacher, she said, Daddy, how come when you go up Uh, to preach, you always bow your head for a minute and close your eyes, and then you raise your head and you preach. And he smiled and he said, well, sweetheart, that's because um, I'm praying that God would help me to deliver a good sermon. She frowned and she said, well, Daddy, how come God doesn't answer your prayers? (laughs) Let's just say, I appreciate your prayers. Verse number five, let's go back. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Paul's still talking to him, remember? Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. This is important. So so that you may know how to answer everyone. He says, make the most, guys, of every opportunity that God brings your way. He would say the same thing. If he stood up here today, he would say the same thing to you and he'd say the same thing to me. Guys, please don't miss the opportunities that the Holy Spirit is bringing your way. One of the greatest opportunities is when people visit, I believe, one of our campuses. They're showing you, when, when, a, when a guest comes onto one of our campuses, they're showing you that they at least have some interest in spiritual things. It may be small, it may not be that big, but something gave them the motivation to come onto one of our campuses. They're looking for something. They may not even know what it is, but they know they're missing something in their life, and maybe, just possibly, this church has the answer. I like the scene, maybe you've seen it, it's an old movie called Dead Poets Society with Robin Williams, many of you remember that movie, but Robin Williams plays the role of a teacher in an exclusive prep school, and on the first day of school, On the first day of school, he takes the class of boys out into the hallway to look at the pictures of past graduates that have now, they're now dead, they've died, and he he, um, motivates them, by talking about them, he motivates them to learn and excel in life with the following words. He says to the students, we are food for worms, lads. Believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room will one day stop breathing. We're gonna turn cold and we're going to die. Step forward and see these faces here on the wall from the past. They were just like you are now. They believed they were destined for great things. Their eyes full of hope. But you see gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. And if you listen real close, you'll hear them whisper their legacy to you. So lean in. What do you hear? So they all lean in. If you remember the movie, they all lean in to hear what the teacher has to say. And he says in kind of an eerie grave-like voice, carpe diem, carpe diem, which is Latin for seize the day. He says, seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. Listen to me, guys. We need to seize every opportunity to help people that we care about discover a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the great commission. That's what if you are a follower of Christ, that's the number one thing that God has called every single one of us to. Then he, says, then he said, remember I pointed it out, seasoned with salt. That same phrase is found in Mark chapter 9. It says salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. So think about what happens when you eat seasoned or salted food. What does it do? Well, it makes you thirsty. makes you thirsty, doesn't it? So that's what He's trying to say, and that's what actually I was trying to say to you earlier when I talked about this, we should be living our lives in a way that it makes the unchurched thirst for more of what we have as followers of Christ. We should be living our lives as an example of Christ. People should be able to see Jesus in us and when they can truly see the attributes and characteristics of Jesus in us, then it makes them thirsty for more of God. But the reason revival is so important is because if we lose our saltiness, then people are not gonna be drawn to it. And that's the way the gospel is built and established. It's not enough, guys, for us just to be friendly. According to Jesus, listen, according to Jesus, we have an obligation, a responsibility to share the gospel. I was reading one pastor in an article and one pastor said, I'm not not praying for our church to do more evangelism. I'm praying for our church to just do any evangelism. We've somehow lost the importance of sharing our faith with other people. Now don't get me wrong, please, don't get me wrong. A lot of churches are busy doing good things and that's good, that's great but we've often neglected, even when we're all busy doing good things, we've often neglected doing the things that God called us to. In Luke chapter 18, it says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Jesus told them that they should always pray and never give up. Friends, listen, if you're here today and you're feeling, if you're watching online, if you're at any of our campuses and you're feeling sleepy spiritually, You're feeling apathetic about the things of God. Can I just encourage you to not give up on prayer, to not give up on worship, to not give up on obeying God, obedience, and just decide, just make a decision. I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna be courageous. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four, so let us come boldly Let us come, as we come to the presence of God, let us come boldly. As we decide we're gonna pray, we should pray with confidence because we know we're doing exactly what Jesus told us to do. When we pray, we're just acting in obedience to what we've been instructed to do. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Guys, that's the kind of devoted prayer that's going to bring revival to Northview. It's the kind of devoted prayer that's gonna bring revival to your family, and it's gonna bring revival in your own life. But please understand, the devil's gonna try to discourage you in any way he possibly can from prayer. The devil's gonna do anything he possibly can. He's gonna give you all kinds of excuses why you don't have time to pray. Because I think sometimes, listen, sometimes I think Satan understands the power of prayer more than we do. He will do anything to keep you from praying. He will keep you busy, he will keep you preoccupied, he will whisper in your ear, that prayer just doesn't work. So there's no need to waste your time in prayer. Listen, prayerlessness is not an attitude. Prayerlessness is not an attitude, it is a bad habit that we've developed in our lives. And it's a habit that we need to break. But as you try to break any bad habit, you've gotta make a decision that I'm gonna break this, I don't like this, this is not good, this is hurting me spiritually, so I'm gonna break this habit. And that's why we have to be intentional about forming new habits of persistent prayer. Guys, I think Northview is I think Northview is ripe and prime for revival. I think the Holy Spirit has been moving for quite a while in some incredible ways, which is why we've been seeing literally hundreds, some years over a thousand people step across the line of faith and invite Christ into their life, which again, you will always see, every time there's a spiritual awakening, you always see people getting saved. We're seeing marriages restored and, and uh, services that are filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think we're making a huge difference in our city as well as overseas. But we all need to focus on revival in our own life and in our own family. And my hope for this series is that each one of you would have a spiritual aha moment. That each one of you would just say, you know what, it's time. It's time. I've grown so apathetic and I've known that I'm not where I once was spiritually and it's time to do something about it because I wanna get back to that same place. A realization that just maybe, just maybe you are not where you once were spiritually. Leonard, Ra- Leonard Ravenhill, I, I've mentioned his name two weeks ago. Leonard Ravenhill was a, an author during the 80s and 90s who wrote a ton on revival and what it really meant. I think I read most of his books. He says, as long as we're content to live without revival, we will. As long as we're content to live without revival, we will. So I hope, my friends, you'll decide to do something about it. Listen, as believers, our purpose is to go to heaven when we die. Hear me on this. As Christians, as believers, our purpose is to go to heaven when we die. That's obvious, right? and to take as many people with us as we possibly can. So Northview, we need to pray for revival in our lives, and we need to pray for revival in the lives of all the Christians in our church, to pray for a spiritual awakening for all believers across this land. Thanks again for joining us on this week's podcast. If you have any questions or would like to speak with a pastor, please connect with us on our website or through social media. You can also find a Northview location to visit in person by going online to northviewchurch.us and then selecting the locations page. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you have a great week.